Hey, this is Mike Cashew, and you're listening to the Airborne Mind Show. Hey guys, Ms. Bahawk here. Thank you so much for joining me today and welcome back to the show. Before we get started, I would love to point you to two places. And number one is if you've listened to the show in the past and you've enjoyed it, you've been entertained by it, or you've gotten something out of it, uh, please head over to iTunes and leave a review with your thoughts. It is the best compliment that you can give and you have no idea how much it would help. Number two, if you are a coach and you are interested in communication, connection, and conversations, you might enjoy uh, this course that Dr. Megan Caden, who's a clinical psychologist, and myself have put together called The Art and Science of Connection. Um, If you realize the value in communicating, asking better questions, listening, and helping your clients feel seen, heard, and understood, then this might be a good fit for you. If you want to check out the details around that, head over to theairbornemind.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Revive RX. Revive RX is my recovery of choice, and this is because it is 100% clean, there's no BS, and it tastes absolutely phenomenal. My favorite is the Strawberry Recover, what I also call the Pimp Juice. I take four scoops after my workouts, and occasionally I'll do the Rebuild, which is a pure you know, protein versus the recover, which is a two to one carb to protein ratio. And uh, if you want some educational material around supplementation and just uh, nutrition overall, I recorded some short videos with Marcus Philly that you can get exclusively at theairbornemind.com. So check that out. And if you're in the market for supplements, head over to reviverx.com and use the code MIS10 at checkout. Today, my guest is Mike Cashew. He is the owner and founder of Brute Strength. So you may have heard of the Brute Strength podcast, or you may have participated in one of the training programs that they have to offer. But if you aren't familiar with Mike, be sure to head over to the first five or first 10 episodes of Uh, this show because he was on in the very early beginnings and we dig into his background and and really establish some context around who Mike is. So give that a listen if you haven't already. But this episode was special to me because it gave me a chance to reflect back upon when I first started this show. And, you know, he played such a huge role in giving me kind of the motivation and, and, uh, you know, words of wisdom to help me take the leap at that point. And so I had a chance to reflect on my own routines and rhythms that have changed and the questions that I had for him. Um, I know that I've observed Mike and his uh, business growth over the last year as well. So I wanted to know what routines and rhythms have changed in his life. You know, what are some of the best practices that he has encountered uh, since that first episode? Um, Leadership is another area that I have always recognized as a 
skill in and of itself, but it's something that I'm starting to utilize and apply more. Um, so I wanted to get his take on some of those things as well. Um, overall, this was such an enjoyable and phenomenal conversation. Um, before we jump in, uh, Brute Body Registration is live and it is closing soon. So if you use the code Brute Airborne, B-R-U-T-E-A-I-R-B-O-R-N-E at checkout, you will get a little gift. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and more importantly, hope you do something with it. Mike, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back, man. It's uh, It seems like it was just yesterday when we were recording episode four, and it's been cool to see how far you've come, man. Yeah, I mean, time flies, and that's kind of, you know, one of the things I'm excited to ask you about is, you know, episode four, this is episode 70, a lot has happened, there's probably a year and a half gap between, you know, these two episodes, and I want to kind of use this as a chance to ask you, like, what has changed for you when you think about a year and a half ago, what you were up to, um, and what you're up to now with brute strength and everything else you have going on? Um, how are you kind of spending your time these days? I was worried you were going to ask that broad of an open-ended question. That's like, <laughs> what is your philosophy on life? <laughs> What's changed? I don't know. Uh, for fear of not having the, the, the right or perfect answer, I'll just give you a couple like of the biggest things that have changed for me. Mm -hmm. um, the way that I look at leading in general, one of, one of the things that I do in many areas of life is lead and that's what I love to do. Um, the way that I look at it now, in the past I've been way more of a kind of lead by example, um, in the weeds kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, very hard worker and really just leading by example. And now I see my role way more as empowering other people to do what they're best at. Mm. Um, and I, I have so, so much work to do on this, but this is just kind of my, the, the, the mental shift that I've been making. Uh, I still have a lot of selfishness, if you will, to work through where I, you know, I want to do what's best for me. I, I'm very like selfish of my own time, et cetera. But on my best days, I'm thinking about how can I empower others to do what they're best at? Um, what, what resources do, does my team need? What connections can I make for them? How can I motivate them and bring out what I see in them? Right. Because if I bring someone onto my team, then I do believe that they can do something great. So a lot of times they don't see it themselves. Mm. So it's about finding ways to bring that out and really help them flourish. So that's been a big uh, turning point for me, for sure. I mean, what are some of those things that you're looking for when you're looking to bring somebody onto your team? I mean, that seems to be a skill within leadership that you kind of just mentioned, you've kind of honed and developed over time. Um, what are some of those characteristics or, um, you know, things that you're looking for within uh, people that are interested in kind of coming on your team? One, one question that I ask in every interview, and this is not an original question. I got this from a, one of my uh, mentors, Dan Sullivan. It's called the R factor question. Mm. And the question goes, if we were to have a conversation in two years from now, what would success look like for you professionally and personally? Mm. 
and I invite them to go into as much detail as possible, right? You can learn so much about what matters to people through that question. And what I'm always looking for, uh, no matter what it is, if, it, if it's brute or if it's a, it's a project that I'm working on, it's always like what really drives them, what motivates them, and why do they want to work with me? And because what I'm up to is I want to have a very big impact on people's lives, right? I want to influence them to be bolder, to achieve more, to be happier, et cetera. So I'm looking for people that uh, align with that first and foremost. And that's just like, a, that's the, the, the fundamental piece. If they don't have that, then long term, I don't think that they're going to be a good fit for me to work with. Mm. Obviously, there are the technical things, the the work history, the um, create creative side, all of those things. But those don't matter if the other piece isn't there. I mean, you mentioned how you um, were kind of leading through example and in the weeds before, and now you're kind of empowering people. Would you say that you almost had to go through that? before you were able to kind of get into this position of empowering people? Um, or could you have done that from the very beginning and gotten a head start at kind of what you're doing now? Uh, that's a great question. Yes to both, I think. So one, I think all entrepreneurs should learn to a certain extent uh, what each function in their company does. Right. They don't mm -hmm. need to know the technical details, but they know they need to know how a little bit about each of them. And for some of some of the main roles like marketing, like uh, operations, they need to know a good bit about it. Uh, so I do think it was important for me to be in the weeds and to do a lot of the day to day work uh, up front. And honestly, I could have spent a lot more time doing that because one mistake that I made repeatedly was I would I would realize that I was doing something that wasn't in my wheelhouse and I was very quick to offload it to hire someone that that could be really good at it and that would love to do that and just offloading it and say hey here you go do it however you want but mm. that's really not the right way to do it right it's it's much better to create a system yourself create a successful system for doing something and then say hey Follow this, you can improve it, do whatever you want, but here's how you can succeed, here's what success looks like for this role. So that's how I could have improved that. Uh, but I also, at the same time, could have been more empowering of my team during that time. Um, like I said, I would, I would hire, hand it off, and then kind of off they go. Mm. And I was much more, much too focused on my responsibilities and not enough about supporting other people. So how did that shift happen? Because I mean, let's say one day you're in the weeds, you're doing all these day to day tasks, you know, you have, you're putting out all these fires, there's a lot of uh, demand and people pulling on your time. And then you have to kind of make this transition or evolve to pulling back on certain things and evolving and uh, focusing on empowering people. Um, I'm sure that was maybe a process of weeks and months and and took a little bit of time but what was the biggest challenge from going from that you know day-to-day -day putting out fires to now focusing more on empowering people 
yeah, it's a, it's a, just a, a, a pretty much linear kind of process. There wasn't like one moment that really shifted, shifted it for me. It was a, but the, each moment that had an impact was when something was going wrong in the business, right? Mm. Something would go wrong and I would ask myself, why is this happening? And for a long time, it was, I've got the wrong person, right? I've got someone mm. who's lazy who who doesn't care or whatever. That was my justification. The more times I started to ask myself this, um, it, it shifted. And, and the reason is, is that I'm sure you've heard the, the quote that goes something like, uh, if there's something wrong in your business, the first place to look at is in the mirror, right? Mm. And I heard that and that was kind of on my mind. And so slowly I started shifting to what's my role in this problem? What, no, no matter what the problem is, like where did I, where could I have done better to have uh, set this person up for success? And almost without fail, there is a significant way that I could have done better uh, as a leader to set the person up to do a good job. And a lot of times it was as simple as I don't I didn't even tell them what a good job actually looks like. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I know when we first chatted, you were already somebody who you know, would soak up experiences and information like a sponge. You were learning from all these different sources. And um, I'm curious to know now, a year and a half later, what does your learning look like? Who are you learning from? What methods are you using, right? Like maybe you were reading a lot of books back then, but now you're doing a lot of seminars or maybe you're learning through observing your team. Um, but how has your learning shifted over this year and a half period? Um, yeah, I'm curious to hear if there's any change at all. I'm not sure it's changed a ton, but I'll say this. The, the, without fail, um, for as long as I can remember, I've always asked a lot of questions. I've never been, I've never been afraid of people thinking, well, that's not true. I, I actually am very afraid of people thinking that I don't have it all figured out. But I feel like if I ask the question that I'm that I'm showing some level of competence in whatever I'm asking about because I know enough to ask the question mm. I, I, I know that's abstract but anyway I ask a lot of questions um, and I, I'm always seeking out mentors if there's something that matters in my life I'm seeking out a mentor sex relationships career uh fitness, literally everything. And that's something we were talking about Noah Kagan before this. That's something that he taught me in a very casual comment. He's like, if, it, if it's something that matters to you in your life, why don't you get a coach? Everybody gets a coach for, for academics and for career, but why not everything else that matters to you? You know, and the biggest one is relationships, right? Mm. Well, relationships and mental health. People just think it's too taboo. We should like naturally be able to figure it out and have, um, you know, have unlimited happiness and uh, fulfillment and an amazing marriage and sex without fighting, blah, 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 right? Bullshit. No one in history has had those things. So it just makes sense to have a coach in everything that you do. And it doesn't have to be a formal coach, but some form of coach. The way that I've, the way that I read books has changed over the last year. I would, well, the past couple years, especially I, I spent kind of compulsively reading books 
And I would read the books that I thought I should read because I had just gone to a seminar and, and so-and-so big shot said it was a great book and I thought that's a topic I should learn about. But recently I've shifted back to the, the I, think, I think it was Tim Ferriss that uh, kind of brought this concept up is the way that you choose a book or the way you choose what you're going to learn next is ask yourself the question, what problem needs solving in my life? Mm, that's interesting. What do I need to act on right now, right? Because I spent so much time reading and then not using the information. Mm. And dude, there are dozens of books that I've read that if you asked me to tell you one thing in them, I might be able to tell you like literally the the title and like the tagline, but that's about it. Right. It's because I didn't do anything with that information. And so now I try to seek out things that I'm going to use right now. Well, it seems like then that also leads you to the next right thing because you kind of learn, you go and apply, and then you probably encounter something along the way um, that you need to solve. And then you come back to learning and you apply and it's always kind of leading you to the next right step. Right. Very interesting. Um, how about, um, when we think of, cause I, I, I know I asked you about the origins of brute strength when we last chatted and I never got into, was it, what was the model like initially compared to now? Because initially, was it uh, always this uh, kind of team dynamic and, um, you know, a group of experts kind of uh, at, at the disposal of whoever wants to come, you know, partake in this training program, they have access to these top level coaches and endurance and strength training and weightlifting? Or, um, you know, how, how did it look when it originally started? Exactly like that. Okay, so it was like that. Exactly, very exactly like that. Yeah. So uh, when I so I I got my first job as a strength and conditioning coach in 2011 or 12 at Southern Utah, and mm-hmm. then I moved I moved back to Louisiana where I grew up because uh, a friend that I had met that was a weightlifter named Matt Bruce got me a job at LSU. And when I, when I moved, moved back and I was going to work at LSU, I said, Matt, how can I pay you back? Like, this is fucking, this is amazing. How can I, what can I do to pay you back? He said, well, I know that you do like some personal training online for people. I was just doing like one-on-one coaching for a handful of people. Mm -hmm. And why don't we do, why don't we do this? Why don't you create the whole program and then I'll just do the weightlifting portion of it. Literally, I I had never at that point I had never heard of anyone, anyone doing that. Where I, I heard of some coaches at that time that would say, okay, in uh, you know, so there's the the main programmer. He would say, hey, Mister Endurance Guy, you've got Tuesdays and Thursdays. Do whatever you want, right? I've heard I, I had heard of that up to that point. When Matt suggested that to me, I literally had never heard of anyone. I'm not, and I'm still not aware of anyone that was doing that. Where he would input the weightlifting, and then I would adjust the volume based on what I know to be most beneficial for CrossFit athletes. Mm-hmm. So that was the origin of the kind of team concept. And then when I moved, I, I stopped working at LSU, and when we started Brute. Um, basically I, you know, I was in the, I had just come out of the football environment, baseball environment where 
you've got a head coach, an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, position coaches, all doing what they're best at. And again, I looked at I looked at the community and there was always one guy and maybe he was giving another another p- position coach like like one session a week or what was more common and what a lot of people are still doing is there's that one guy but then they're also going and seeing a gymnastics coach an endurance coach etc and they are doing they're manipulating the programming for themselves rather than having one cohesive unit so it does seem like from the very beginning leadership was always being trained or ingrained in you in some sort of way because you were dealing with people and you had to kind of uh, juggle all these pieces together to kind of make it this one cohesive thing um, that you can kind of bring to people. Absolutely, man. That's what I love to do. I, I, I love to be I love to be the guy that people look up to. I love to you know drive towards a goal um, and and really bring awesome people together in, in whatever project that might be, uh, why those guys chose to follow me. I'm not, I'm still not fully sure, but they did. And we've got a fucking kick ass team now. Yeah. I mean, so circling back to empowering people as a leader, what does that look like? I mean, when we think of somebody who's coming up to you, who's a part of your team, and you have this opportunity in your day to make an impact on them or kind of positively steer them in the right direction or, you know, give them some words of encouragement. How do you decide, like, what is the right thing for that moment for you to, you know, give them? And how do you do that without kind of micromanaging or, you know, um, yeah, doing it in just the right dosage, you know? Yeah, that's a really tough that's a tough question to answer because everyone is different. Mm-hmm. And so it's th- the same way that, you know, if you ask that question about how would you coach a weightlifter, it's going to be different for every person. So right. the biggest thing and and everything I'm about to say is do as I say not as I do, right? Because I again, I have so much growth in this area to do myself, but everyone wants to feel connected. Right. So the very first step for every leader has to be connection. And no matter how big the company is, the CEO needs to be deeply connected to those right under him or her. And everyone under each one of those has to be deeply connected and so forth. Right. We can only be deeply connected with so many people. I think the number is 150 ish. Mm -hmm. Um, But we need to be connected in some sort. And that's how we learn what makes people actually tick and that's that's what makes them want to do great work for you right when they when they know that you know everything about their family and that their mom is in the hospital and that their little kid is playing soccer and that you you know you play drums on the weekends etc they that you're a friend they're so much more willing to go to bat for you and to give everything they've got. So that's without a doubt number one. And the practical way that I do that, owning a an online company, is through FaceTime calls, Zoom calls, all that kind of thing, right? Yeah. The second one, and this is where I have the most growth to do, is holding people to higher standards. And the problem that I've, I've faced in the past and still I'm working through it is I, I, I have felt like 
holding people to a really high standard and saying, look, what you just turned in is fucking horseshit. Bring it back, like start over. I thought like that was rude. I'm being a dick. I'm not the cool guy anymore. I'm like being a, I don't, I don't even know what the word is, but do you following me? Yeah. Right. But that's also bullshit because all, all, all that I'm really doing when I don't hold people to a high standard is I'm, I'm not being vulnerable and risking them, be, uh, you know, feeling offended by me or them, uh, getting defensive, et cetera, right? So it's yeah. kind of a, a way to protect myself. And so one of the best, if not the best way to empower people is to hold them to the standard that you know that they are capable of. And so it doesn't mean hold them to a standard of perfection, but if they turn in something that is incomplete or just below the standard that you know they're capable of, then hold them to it. And they might get defensive and hate you in the moment, but in the long run, they will absolutely value you as a leader, as a friend, for making them the best version of themselves. It seems like there are a lot of parallels between what you just talked about and coaching athletes as well, right? Like you have some athletes that might respond to the boot camp style drill instructor, like being super hard, and then somebody else who might need a little bit uh, of that soft touch. And so mm -hmm. you kind of getting to know your team have this kind of catalog in your head of who needs what and based off of, you know, when you kind of encounter that you're able to, you know, pull pull what what is necessary and most effective at that time. Um, you know, right away. Right. And the best way to know if the way that you're communicating with them, the way that you're leading them is working is just looking at the results, right? Mm -hmm. Are they getting better? Are they able to achieve that cue that you just gave them? Are they doing a better job? Are they performing better, et cetera? And if they're not, then maybe you should switch it up. Mm, got it. Yeah. I've spent a lot less time focusing on other people doing things wrong and much more on what am I doing wrong or what could I be doing better to make their life easier and to, to, you know, help them do their job better. And, and I'm sure with this, you know, responsibility of not only kind of looking internally at, okay, what am I doing? What could I improve? But then also having to manage all these, you know, different people, there's stress that comes with that, right? So how how do you deal with stress, both both good and bad? Like, what are some of your um, you know methods for kind of coping with it and and making sure that you are um, you're handling it well? You know, you you aren't overstressing yourself, but you're also kind of um, I don't know able to kind of turn off at the end of the day and and put things kind of aside. Gotcha. I, I love this question. And I love this topic in general. First off, I think that stress and to use, use a quote from my friend, Justin Sua is that pressure is a privilege, right? And I think a lot of us are in this constant state of trying to completely get rid of stress and to think that a, a stressless life is what we should strive for. And that is not when we have no stress, that means we're being complacent, we are comfortable, and we are probably the equivalent of the walking dead, right? We are just not 
living a, a an exciting or fulfilling life. Stress is just a byproduct of growing. So don't be afraid of it. That's that that is a huge thing that I've learned. Um, the other like fundamental concept for me is that I constantly have to think about what is inside of my control and what is outside of my control. When I've identified things that are outside of my control, I've gotten very, very good of letting go of worrying about that because I realize that that will not make it better. It will not make my life better. It won't get better results. It won't do anything at all, but ruin my day, right? Mm. And potentially make, and potentially um, be like a self-fulfilling prophecy where I perpetuate that into existence. So figuring out what's inside your control, what's outside your control is crucial. And then I think a lot of people consider like rejuvenating activities and relaxation as something that should be earned, right? Mm -hmm. If I work work really hard, then I'll be able to rest on the weekend, right? Or if I didn't get, a, if I wasn't very productive during the week, then I'm going to grind through the weekend. A lot mm. of people live in that mentality. Yeah. I think about it completely opposite. The rejuvenation, the relaxation, the, the play, all of that stuff is what makes me more productive, what makes me more fulfilled in life. And it's what makes me perform better at every single thing I do. So I put the rejuvenation into my day just as I would any other crucial thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, this kind of leads me to uh, asking you about time management, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you are trying to um, make sure that you have time in your day for play and you're really protecting that time, um, how do you go about, like what's that decision process look like in your head if we were to kind of get inside your head a little bit you know uh some of the things that you love to do to rejuvenate and how do you how do you make sure that time is secure within your day a lot of practice first and foremost uh, and it's I, I see it as i'm starting to see this this i don't know i have this belief that the most productive people on the planet are just very, very, very structured and disciplined with their, with their work schedule. And I've seen that over the, over the course of the past three years, me going from absolutely no structure as a, as a new entrepreneur owning a remote company to now where I have some things that save me so much time and energy. For instance, I, I almost never have meetings before noon because I want to create before noon. I don't want to be at the beck and call of what other people want or need or, you know, I, I don't want to be in a reaction, reacting uh, mode, basically. Mm -hmm. So no meetings before noon. I only do podcasts on Tuesday. I only have meetings on Mondays and Thursdays. What else? So those are some huge ones. Yeah. Because before it was... <laughs> You know, have meetings whenever, whenever possible, all day long, do a podcast on a Wednesday this week and then one on a Tuesday next week, blah, 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 blah. And it's so distracting. I was never able to get in any kind of flow or rhythm or anything because I was always hopping from like vastly different, um, vastly different, not topics, but 
activities, right? right? So that's number one. Another huge one is rather than focusing on what time am I going to wake up, focus on what time am I going to go to bed? Because I know that I always want eight to nine hours of sleep every single night without question. Mm -hmm. But in the past, I so I had that that strong belief. But I also said I want to go to bed. I want to I want to wake up at six a.m. or five a.m. or whatever. And then I would, for whatever reason, I would go to bed at eleven or twelve, and then it would completely mess up the rest of my day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so focusing on getting to bed at the same time each night is huge. And then just having a really, really rejuvenating, exciting morning ritual is unbelievable. So specifically I meditate, I do Ramwad, I journal, and then I usually read at the end. It seems like you have, uh, these non-negotiables kind of outline for you that I'm sure took some time to figure out. I mean, for me specifically, that's, you know, with podcasts, that's been something that I've recently implemented where it's like, okay, instead of doing six shows in one week, I'm doing max three, no matter what. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's no if, ands, or buts. It's like, nope, it'll be pushed to the next week. And there's also certain days that I've found, um, in terms of rhythm, like you said, it's also a deeper work, I think, that you're doing now. You know, it's like instead, it's kind of like programming where if you sit down and you try to write one program, you have a total of, let's say, 10 to write, and then you take a break and you do something else and you have to come back and write another, that's going to mm-hmm. take drastically longer than if you had, you know, an hour or two hours to dedicate solely to just kind of staying in that flow of being able to pump out those programs. Right. I think they say it takes an average of four minutes. Every time you're distracted, it takes an average of four minutes to get actually refocused. Hmm. So for instance, if you look down at a text and start working, you're not really gonna get into rhythm for at least four minutes or for for an average of four minutes. And then you look at another text, another four minutes, and then they say flow, ta- you know, an actual flow state where everything is just fucking cruising, you're, you're feeling better than you have in, in a long time, that takes even longer. That's so wild. <laughs> um, so another another huge one. Sorry, I, this this one's I'm, I'm so passionate about mm-hmm. is like be fucking disciplined with your gadgets, especially the iPhone, the phone. Put it in another room. Turn it on airplane mode. Whatever you have to do, uh, download apps that block you from social media. There are a million different things, but don't let the phone use you. Use the phone to your benefit. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just become this powerful thing over time where, you know, what's like the average number that we all look at our phones every day? It's like 40 to 50 times a day minimum, I think. Yeah, mine has got to be far over that. But yeah, I, yeah it's, a, it's a lot for sure. And every time we look at that thing, we're not being present with whatever it is we're doing. And it doesn't have to be just in order to be more productive but to be more present with the people around you, mm. right? If you're at a, if you're at a, if you're at dinner with a friend and you're in a deep conversation and your phone vibrates, the natural instinct is just to check it real quick. And then you break eye contact with that person that you're talking to. How does that feel? Right? We're, yeah. we're, we're sitting here talking about something hard that you're going through and I'm going to check my phone real quick. Like, are you, am I really listening to you? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, kind of piggybacking off of this uh, time management topic, and this is actually a listener question. How do you and a D 
make time for each other. I mean, both of you are running businesses, you're entrepreneurs, there's a lot of people pulling on your time, you each want to do, you know, certain activities for play and and um, have these interests you're pursuing and growing your businesses. How do you manage to make time for each other throughout the week? I think this is something that we'll work on for the rest of our lives, for sure, as as we have new projects and kids and life circumstances. Mm -hmm. But I mean, very simply put, we just do like we just make it a priority. Anything that's a priority in life, we will make time for period. It's when it's when we let other things become a bigger priority that we just don't, you know, quote unquote, find the time. So if I see so we share calendars, obviously, and if if I think about it, I will just look at a, a night or a, a time throughout the day that we both are free for however long, and then I'll just schedule something. So, for instance, Adi just did this. She um, in February she just bought us tickets to go see Cirque du Soleil in Ooh. Austin. So, like you know, little things like that, like just putting something on the calendar is is absolutely crucial. As like non romantic as that sounds, if it's not on the calendar for us, it's probably just nothing's going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we both have a very very full life, and if we don't put it in the calendar, just as just as we would a podcast with Mizba, mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. You know? Right. So we're we're kind of practical in that way. I mean, I think what you said earlier is so huge around shifting the mindset that you have to kind of earn um, that time for play or the time to do the things that really matter and that you really want to. Um, and that just leaves you in kind of this rat race that you never really get out of because it seems like it's it's more of a paradigm shift that has to happen mentally and, and then once that's there and you're comfortable uh, you know comfortable turning off at a certain point in the day and doing the things you kind of enjoy um, you know it's like that's when change can kind of really happen mm -hmm. yeah most people including myself for most of my life basically just work to live mm -hmm. and and base happiness off of how much they've achieved or I've achieved. But when you switch that lens and start looking at playing hard enough to justify working hard, your life completely changes. Did you catch that? Yeah. Play and rejuvenate and have the best time ever so that you can justify working really hard. Life is not about work. Mm-hmm. Right. Having having a, a fulfilling and uh, value creating career is very fulfilling, but that is not what life is all about. I, I want to get your thoughts. Is that, Do you think this is one of the reasons that big CEOs and people who run successful companies, um, you know, they they're focused on kind of doing less? you know, but more of what is effective. So it's like, you may not go into the office every day, um, but you may have kind of, um, you know, a meeting or a call with somebody or some, you know, something that's like super important, but then the rest of your day is kind of um, revolving around play and, and being able to kind of clear your head so you make better decisions. Yes, I, I forget who said it, but basically creativity requires a 
kind of a free mind and a you're not you're not going to see an incredibly stressed out person making very high quality creative decisions on a consistent basis right you have to be rejuvenated you have to be getting outside the office um that's that's just how it, that's just how it has to be done it has to be done that way or else you end up like Dave Chappelle and you got to go to Africa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I saw him recently, by the way, uh, oh, in New you? Orleans. Yeah, it was amazing. Dude. He's, um, he's been my favorite comedian for my entire life. So that was amazing. I think it was Chris Tucker that opened for him. Oh, wow. It's a riot. Are you a fan of his new specials that just came out? I don't. No, I'm not actually. It was, I mean, he had some funny stuff, but he just lost that. He used to just be so spicy and and I don't know. I don't I don't know exactly what it is that he lost, but he doesn't seem as into it. He doesn't seem mm. as excited about it, which I think makes the biggest difference. I mean, did you pick up on that when you saw him in person too, or was it different yes. in person? Yeah. Interesting. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited to see his because uh, he has a third special coming out before the end of the year and uh, kind of part of that trilogy on Netflix. And I'm curious to see how that one turns out. Yeah. I, I, in the past, I felt like he was much more expressive and playful. And and it seems like he's lost a little bit of that, but mm. he's still the man. Yeah. Legend. Um, what is the greatest thing that you've learned from your marriage so far? Holy shit, man. This is also a listener question. I don't know about the greatest. Well, I don't know, man. Like before I met a D, I I was very very happy. I, I had a great life, um, just happy and, and successful in every sense of the word. And I didn't really see the value in a marriage or or having a, a life partner at all. Like I just didn't, I didn't get it. Right. Mm -hmm. I thought. I have so such deep friendships in my life and I have such a great family. Like I don't really need anything else. So if it happens and I find someone cool, you know, I want to have sex with someone anyway. So that would be cool if that happened. But, um, what I found is that the, the joy of being able to sh share your literally share your life with another human being, you get to do everything in life with this other person by your side, everything that you do is richer and greater in general because you have another person to share it with. So that was kind of the, that was the most impactful. One, one another really cool thing that I learned is, so our, our relationship coach, Annie taught this to us, this concept of the I centered person and the us or the we centered person. Most healthy relationships have one person that is more I centered or more independent and, an, and the other that's more we centered or relationship centered. Mm. And so I spent my whole life basically looking for someone that was super independent like me and let me have all my space that kind of thing. Mm. And what, what Annie taught us is that what we're really looking for in a relationship is to learn more about what the other knows. So I hired a D basically to teach me how to be more us centered, how to have a, a deeper, more connected relationship. And she hired me to teach her how to be more independent, more autonomous and such. Mm. Right. 
And lastly, that this 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 was probably the the biggest like mind fuck, if you will, but just the the topic of sexuality in general, mm-hmm. uh, masculine and feminine. Yeah. Right. Again, I spent my whole life looking for someone, and I didn't know it at the time, but that was that was very masculine. I spent my time looking for someone that was rational and that was driven and that was always wanted a challenge. Right. Those are very those are masculine traits. Yeah. And what I've learned is that. That is not so sexuality in general breeds on polarity, mm-hmm. breeds on a, a, a very masculine and a very feminine pole. And that's what cr- creates attraction. And so when I was looking for when I was ending up with these kind of masculine women, I would very quickly lose interest. Right. Because they're just like me. <laughs> I want what I want is someone that's complete polar opposite than me. Right. And once I understood that. I stopped I stopped wishing that a D would be more rational, right? Stopped wishing that she were more like me in general because I, I appreciate it for what it is. It's just like the divine feminine. And mm. that's why I love her so much. And so when I understood that, that was that was a huge upgrade for me. That's huge. I love that. And I'm sure that's something that will change over time as you spend more time together as more time kind of goes by. So I know that that word greatest always puts this like pressure into a question where it's like, Oh my gosh, I have to think of the greatest thing. But it's like, you know, just that observation alone, I think is so valuable. For sure, man. That's why I spat it off three really quickly. <laughs> Love it. Um, <laughs> this is also a listener question. Um, and this is somebody I actually uh, know personally. And she just started dating somebody who um, is a couple years sober. And she wants to know how can someone help support you during recovery? You know, like how can your partner um, be supportive and, and do what they can do from their end to help, you know, f- support you and facilitate, um, you know, whatever is going to be most helpful throughout that journey and process. The number one thing is, is show up and let them know that you will love them no matter what, whether they're sober, whether they're using no matter what, one of the biggest problems in the way that I don't know if it's just Western culture, but for sure in America, the, one of the biggest problems in the way that we treat addicts is I will love you as long as you're sober, right? Mm-hmm. And and the amount of pressure that that puts on addicts is just overwhelming. And addiction is just something just so, so insidious and something that most most everyone takes multiple tries when when the message that they receive is, I'll only love you if you're sober, it, it creates a sense of unworthiness. They're not worthy because they can't stay sober. So the number one thing is consistently give them that message. I'll love you no matter what, right? And you do that through spending time with them no matter what, again. And that doesn't mean let like give them a hundred bucks every time they want because you probably shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But give them your time, give them your ear, and just be there for them. That's what people want more than anything, right? They want to know that you're going to be there for them no matter what. Because people, no one wants to be a drug addict. Mm -hmm. So they're trying. They just don't, they haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Second is be a fucking good role model, right? So if you're, if you are, 
dealing with an alcoholic, maybe don't, maybe for like whenever they're going to come over, don't have a ton of booze around, right? Don't, don't have a fucking kegger when your son that's in recovery for the past two months comes over. Um, don't take them to a bar to hang out, right? Those are just ways that you can set them up uh, by kind of controlling the environment a little bit. Um, and then don't, you know, kind of along with that, addiction is like a, it's a, it's a family system issue. It's just, it's not a, an individual issue almost every time. Um, it's, it has to be everyone recovering together. And so a lot of times the, the spouse or the mom or the son or whatever, the friend of the addict, they need to get some therapy themselves. They need to do some work on how they communicate and how they live in order to be not, not just supportive for the addict, but also to be a healthier version of themselves. Right. If if, for instance, if, if the spouse if there's an addict, the spouse is usually, there's something usually, um, like we attract each other, right? We yeah. attract like-minded individuals. So if we attract a drug addict into our life, then that probably means that they are filling some hole inside of us. So take some accountability, look inside yourself, see what work there is to be done on being a better version of yourself rather than always focusing on how can I make them better? Right. Mm. And I'll always, always realize that you can never make anyone do or believe anything. And so you can make suggestions, you can listen, but you can never force um, anyone to do or believe anything. I love that, man. That's uh, I think that's really helpful advice for a lot of people that might be listening right now. So thank you. For sure, man. Um, I want to learn a little bit more about, um, the affiliate program with WAG. Um, could you tell me a little bit about kind of how that works? Yes. So this is something that we've been working on for a long time. It is basically a, we're going to give you everything you need to start your own nutrition business in your gym. Basically, if you're an affiliate gym owner, then we're going to coach one of your coaches or you in our our uh, our nutrition consulting system mm-hmm. we're going to teach you the marketing we're going to give you the marketing we are going to let you use the app seismic we're going to give you everything that you need to succeed and start your own version of a nutrition business in your gym that's that sounds really exciting um one of the questions that comes up for me is like could this doing this could this cannibalize uh what wag is already kind of up to is that ever something that's kind of on your mind where you know you and ad you guys have this you know obviously personal relationship but then there's now this kind of business relationship um and and with this affiliate you know program kind of happening um you know what's the thought process behind that if there's a chance that a ton of, you know, business from WAG could be kind of, uh, not stolen, but like, you know, brought to the other side in a sense. Totally. That's a, yeah, that's a phenomenal question. So that was, that was really the fundamental question when we were thinking about starting this is 
we're going to we're going to give the gym owners now the ability to coach their members and what if all of the members that are currently on wag leave and go to use that model right mm -hmm. and we really to this day we have no idea what's going to happen but the reason that we're doing it is because the core mission of wag is to change as many lives as possible and we know without a shadow of, shadow of a doubt the way to do that is through this through this program no doubt about it we know that we're going to give it, it's just going to exponentially increase the amount of lives that we can touch by giving more people the system to teach others so it seems like you're you have to come at it from a uh, abundance kind of mindset versus being super scarce and kind of keeping the salt to yourself type of thing 100% man 100% and if if wag ends up so it, it, it is still a wag service right mm -hmm. so it's not it's not going to cannibalize the business but it could completely shift what we're doing and if and if we end up making less money then so be it right, right. we we have consistently taken action on what we know is going to serve more people in a greater way and you know honestly we believe that we're going to make a lot more money, you know, go, like doing both at the same time. But if we happen to not, then at least we're doing what uh, what lines up with our values. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I want to kind of now uh, get a couple rapid fires in before I let you go because uh, I don't do it. I don't think I had this last time when we chatted. Um, and this is actually something that just came to mind for me. Um, but have you ever heard of like the uh, the Pareto principle where it's like, yeah, you know, eighty twenty. Yeah. The 80, 20. So w when you think about, and, and I'll leave this a little bit open-ended, but when you think about the 20% of things that you may have changed over the last year and a half that have brought you those exponential 80% of results in whatever business relationships, uh, personal fulfillment, does anything come to mind for you? Like, Hey, I changed these one or two things and the return on my investment time energy money was you know absolutely insane it brought me 80 percent of kind of what i was looking for i hired a personal assistant that and again i don't know i do have a hard time with these because i want to give you <laughs> yeah. like the best one that i've done uh but hiring a personal assistant has been life-changing for me because i own an online company i you i get you know, 75 to 100 emails a day that must be answered, right? That doesn't include like any any kind of like products or uh, promotions or anything like that. That's just the ones that have to be answered. Um, and I've gone back and forth through the past few years of being disciplined and how many times a day I check it and things like that. But I always, or I still felt like I was spending much too much time in my inbox and doing things that I really, really didn't want to be doing, like scheduling and following up on things, just things that I know I'm, I'm naturally not good at. And again, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to operate in my unique ability as much as possible. And these things, these uh, repetitive things were just really holding me back. Mm. So with this assistant, we've I've given her a lot of responsibility um, in, I don't know, basically helping me create more structure and, and organization in my life. And it's been amazing. And I spend a 
like a tenth of the time in my inbox and I spend no time doing a lot of things like scheduling mm. and following up. This brings me back to that question again where it's like having an assistant or um, you from the very beginning being so systemized with your schedule where you allow your uh, self to have time for play and the things that really matter. Is this something that if you did from the very beginning, like if you went back, I know this is a question where people are like, you know, I, would, I wouldn't change anything, I'll keep everything the same, it all led to this, but if you took having this assistant and, and that time management uh, component, and we took that back to when you first started, you know, would it have been, you know, is it something that you wish you would have done, or did you have to kind of go through that growing pain type of period, and then now it's like the right time for you to do those things? Yeah, honestly, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. I think I could have benefited from this from the get go. Um, but I don't know if it would have shifted. You know, if, if you're listening to this and you've and you've got I mean, you can you can hire someone in the Philippines for four dollars an hour. And that's a that's a killing for them. Right. Yeah. And if they if they can do just a handful of small tasks that save you an hour or more a day, that is worth a lot to you. Mm -hmm. Right. So I am I am really big on buying back my time in whatever way possible. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not someone that likes lavish things or or a lot of stuff. And so if I have the money and resources to hire someone to offload something that I hate doing or that's really like bogging me down, then I'm going to do it. I love that. Um, let's say that you had only $500 and a laptop and everything else you've accomplished has been kind of taken away, right? All of Brute, everybody who works for you, your contacts, you have to start from scratch. You only have $500 and you have a laptop. What would you do with that to kind of either get back to where you are now or just starting from scratch? You know, what would be your play, your first move to kind of earn a living and, and kind of get back on your feet again? Hmm. I'll say I would start a very simple WordPress site or even even Square uh, Squarespace site, start a blog, and I would probably start like I have Zen and Juice that I haven't posted to in probably a year now. <laughs> but I would I would I would just start talking more about uh, mental health and talking about what I love, which is mental health and and uh, performance, and then just kind of see where it takes me. Um, Financially speaking, I would I would probably just create courses that help people be more confident, what work on self-awareness, work on all of those types of things, and probably do that on a one-on-one -on -one basis, maybe even create some videos with my my camera on my on my uh, MacBook and keep it super, super lean like that and do things through Gmail and see where it takes me. I love that. It's super creative. Um I want to know now if you had a couple billion dollars, right? And you had a staff of 40 people. These 40 people are maybe some of who are working for you now, but you have the choice of recruiting the top performers and top thinkers in whatever field it is that you're recruiting them for, right? So time, mm -hmm. energy, money, you know, it's not really a concern, but you wanted to do something with that. Maybe it's some type of impact, pursuing some type of personal passion. Um, what would you do with it? 
I would aim to make 1 billion people st- statistically significantly more happy, right? And so that would, that would mean a lot of research, a uh, shitload of um, conversations with experts in every different field and aim to make 1 billion people, people happier. So you would, I guess you'd have to come back to like figuring out how do you measure that? Is that what you're kind of saying with statistically, like figuring out how do we measure happiness in a way right. that we can kind of push this out to 1 billion people? Exactly. And, and, and something I think so like something that would be so high leverage would just be promoting the fact that mental health practitioners and, and therapy in general is not taboo and almost making it cool. Mm-hmm. That's something that Adi and I have talked about for a while is, you know, we want, we want to make it cool to seek out help for your mind, whether right. it be like you're going, whether it be you're going through a divorce or depression, or you're just, you just feel like you could be happier. You could be more fulfilled. We want people to stop thinking that that's a sign of weakness or, yeah, just truly a sign of weakness and that it's actually cool. As cool as it is to get a weightlifting coach and our personal trainer or hire a business coach, it's just as cool to make sure that your mind is operating at its absolute best and that you're enjoying this one ride in life that you have. I totally um, resonate with that because, you know, I would say six months ago, seven months ago, I kind of had the choice where I was like, you know, I either want to get a business coach, some type of coach, I I wanted to invest in a coach that would uh, help me perform better day to day. And it was like, okay, maybe a business coach, there's life coaches, or there's therapy. And I ended up going with the therapy route. And it has been one of the best investments I've made in time, uh, energy and money. And and what it's kind of brought for me, not just in personal fulfillment and the way, you know, I look at things and, and the filters that I've kind of um, been able to gain and perspective I've been able to gain. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny how everything's connected because looking at, you know, career wise or business wise, it all kind of trickled into that area as well, even though that wasn't the original intention. You know, it was kind of like looking at the system as a whole and seeing, okay, how can I improve this one area? And let's see how it kind of affects everything else. And and so I'm totally with you on that. I I hope in the next, you know, five years, 10 years, it's something that um, people are more and more open to. Without a doubt. I have literally no doubt that it will. If you look at how things like Headspace are blowing up, um, you know, different mindfulness apps and different uh, companies focused on mental health are just exploding right now. You know, those people are making it cool to work on your mind. Mm. And the reason what you just talked about is true is because that's at the very base of the pyramid. You know, you could have gotten a business coach and it could have, it could have made you a ton of more money and made you feel much more competent in your career, but it might've had no effect on your relationships or your physical health or whatever that may be. Right. When we affect our mental health, everything immediately can get better. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, Now I want to kind of get into, you know, an observation. When I think of anybody who's achieved a high level of success relative to what they set out to kind of achieve, um, 
there always kind of came a moment where you had to jump right where you didn't know what was going to happen next and you know the parachute didn't open up right away when you jumped it's like you know you got torn up by a bunch of cliffs your clothes came off and things took way longer than you wanted it to and then finally the parachute opened and you have kind of a safe landing can you think of a moment for you where you had to kind of take that leap not knowing what would kind of happen and and really hoping the parachute would open Yeah, for sure. Discontinuing my work at LSU to start Brute in the first place. I was working at, some people would say, the best strength and conditioning program in the country, right? Mm -hmm. That's definitely arguable. But I was working for, you know, with some of the best strength coaches in the world, with some of the best athletes in the world. After that, I could have, you know, I, I had it made, right? I could have been, done anything I wanted in the strength and conditioning world. And I chose to start Brute because of this, this one philosophy. And I didn't learn these words until probably the last year, but I had this sense when I made the decision. It's that be willing to destroy anything in your life that is not excellent, right? Mm-hmm. And so LSU, was, was, it was great, and I really liked parts of it. And it was super, super stimulating and fun for me at times, but it wasn't it wasn't, I wasn't deeply connected to what I was doing. It wasn't fulfilling and I wanted more. And I've operated out of, out of the the sense of destroying anything that's not excellent ever since in every area of life, just because something's going well, doesn't mean I should keep doing it. Right. Yeah. Again, I've got one shot at life, so I'm constantly going to strive for the best in whatever I can do. So, I mean, that was a big deal for you, kind of taking that leap from LSU to starting Brute. Um, I'm sure many obstacles kind of came along the way as you were hoping for that parachute to kind of open up. Um, did you notice, like, what was the shift? What what shift happened maybe within you, or maybe it was just consistency and time that paid off, but when things started to kind of uh, come back on the upswing and that parachute actually ended up landing? When we started to make some money <laughs> and, I wasn't, and I wasn't worried about how I was going to pay for rent and food and stuff like that. Pretty simple. Um, well, do you think that was a shift within you or do you think that was just a, a matter of, you know, the actions that you were taking and, and consistency and patience within that? Can you repeat that? Yeah. So was it like a shift that happened within you internally that kind of, you know, changed things where maybe you started taking more action or taking the right type of actions or was it just a matter of consistency and patience and time kind of doing its thing before you know revenue started kind of coming in i see what you're saying yeah the more i think the more that i felt like the the team that we were building was also bought in to what we were doing and when we started getting some like quote unquote fans on social media i felt like what we were doing was actually worth a shit and it made me care a lot more about it and it made me care about 
making sure that all of these people that are now invested in it are they're taken care of as well right because i'm 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 driving the ship i better make sure that we're going in a good direction because they they believe in it they count on me and there's you know much more responsibility on me so that you know that was both stressful and empowering at the same time because others started caring more about it so did i yeah i'm sure that's huge um i mean i kind of so you get asked a lot of questions, right? People are probably asking about training all the time or podcasting or business. Um, is there something you wish people would ask you more about or they would ask you the right types of questions? And what I mean by that is, let's say somebody, let's take podcasting for example, you can ask, okay, what kind of software do you use? What kind of mic do you use, right? <laughs> but on the other end, that person could be hoping, oh my God, like, that stuff you could just Google and really kind of find out. I wish this person would ask me, hey, how do I ask better questions or how do I improve my listening skills? So those bigger types of questions, um, you know, you kind of thinking now about the types of questions you get, does something come to mind for you where you're like, gosh, I just, I wish people would ask this type of question or change their thinking around this. That is a good question. I've never thought about it. I think in general people and I actually when I would see people like people that I looked up to and like answering things this way I would hate it because it's so abstract but I wish people would ask more about how can I be happier how can I have better relationships how can I be a better person right because at the end of the day everything everyone is trying to do is just be happier they're trying to have have a better life, right? Yeah. And we have a million different ways of going about that, but I wish people would just actually get down to like what fundamentally makes us happier. And so ask ask those types of questions and you'll get some answers like like you were talking about that are at the base of the pyramid that make all of the other things easier. Mm, I love it. It's that 2080 yeah. rule kind of again or 80/20 rule. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Man. Um, well, Mike, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to catch up. And I just want to know, you know, how can we support you and your journey? Where can we point people to and where can they kind of learn more about you? Sweet. So first off, one, I really appreciate you having me on the show again. It's been uh, it's been really cool to see you grow. But even from the start, you're just such a conversationalist. So as much as it's a pleasure for you, it is for me, and I love being on your show, so thank you. Um, how you can help me? Well, if you're listening to the show and you really just wish you looked better naked, you know, all the clothes are off and you just looked amazing, that's what you're into. We're in the middle of a brute body launch, and it is, it is geared towards looking better naked, getting way stronger. Uh, it's a very comprehensive program. It comes with coaching and a community and an app, and it's just really sweet, and registration is going to close really soon. So you can go to brutestrengthtraining.com slash programs to check it out. And if you sign up and use code, what did we say? Brute Airborne, mm. that's B-R-U-T-E-A-I-R-B-O-R-N-E at the checkout, we're going to send you a 25 dollar gift card to use at the brute store awesome man love it once again thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure likewise bro thanks for having me on 
Thank you so much for listening, guys. I appreciate you tuning in and lending me your ears. Before you take off, if you are a coach or you're simply of the mindset that your ability to connect is your greatest asset, then please head over to theairbornemind.com. Dr. Megan Caden, who is a clinical psychologist, and myself have put together a course called The Art and Science of Connection. So if you place a high value on communication, conversations, listening, asking the right questions, and helping people feel seen, heard, and understood, then you might find some of this interesting. Once again, that is theairbornemind.com. Secondly, If you can head over to iTunes and leave a review with your thoughts, it is the best compliment that you can give. Once again, thank you so much for listening, guys. Until next time.